นโมทัสสะกูตุอรหัตุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะกูตุอรหัตุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะกูตุอรหัตุสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังมังสังขังนามัสสะAnd the teaching offered there, Ajahn Chah is saying, if you are mindful while giving teachings to others, then you will be teaching yourself at the same time. Don't think you're only teaching others. Now, if you're mindful while offering teachings to others, and then you'll be teaching yourself at the same time. Don't think you're only teaching others. And one of the points when I reflect on this, one of the points that immediately stand out is this preeminence in the Buddha's teachings of the function of mindfulness. Of course, these days, uh, the word mindfulness has become a bit of a thing. So when we use it, we need to just stop and check to see we are aware of what the teacher is referring to, and certainly it's um, been commodified and marketed and uh, taught in all sorts of uh, secular situations, and mm, they don't uh, necessarily—they're not necessarily wrong, but they're not necessarily also uh, the full story when it. Uh, As far as the way the word is used in mm, traditional Buddhist teachings, so, so the point Ajahn Chah is making is: if you're mindful, you've got a better perspective on what's going on. If you're not mindful, then you're missing out. That seems to me to be the point of. You know, in this case, I forget exactly what the. Circumstance which Ajahn Chah was teaching in, but he may well have been talking to a group of monks and pointing out to them that when they're giving Dhamma talks, to don't lose perspective and don't get caught up in becoming the teacher. And of course, this applies to all sorts of other situations we might find ourselves in. That if we lose perspective, if we lose mindfulness, then we miss out. We, We can become the role, becoming a school teacher, becoming a manager in a business, and becoming a parent. If we lose mindfulness from the Buddhist perspective of spiritual training, we miss the opportunity to really learn and really generate benefit. So, in this particular quote. If you're mindful while giving teachings to others, 
You're also teaching yourself. And when we lose mindfulness and we get caught up in the role, you can start thinking, well, I'm the teacher, I'm the one who's supposed to have it all together and these are the students and they don't know anything and then we get caught in this painful division and lack of shared participation in a consideration on something that is important, like, for instance, the fact that we all suffer, we all struggle. Nobody likes the idea of getting sick and dying. It's not appealing to anybody, and yet we've all got this ahead of us. And nobody likes being misunderstood. Nobody likes losing their friends. But we all have these experiences, and we all want to be free from the struggle. We're all interested. We all share this interest. And So somebody who's teaching Dhamma get lose mindfulness and get caught up in becoming the role, becoming the teacher, and forget that we're all in this together. And in the process, compassion goes out of the window. And compassion is that, that empathy in the context of suffering. ability, that sensitivity to sharing the painful predicament that we all find ourselves in. We we all suffer. And and if we lose sensitivity to that reality, that manifests as loss of compassion and loss of the warmth of heart that human beings can be uh, capable of. So Ajahn Chah is encouraging, don't lose mindfulness. It's also worth registering and considering this point and how much, how often the Buddha, when using the word mindfulness, also went on to to use the word uh, clear comprehension or the Pali word, which is sampajanya. Often, if you're studying the Buddhist scriptures, sati and sampajanya, these two words go together, mindfulness and clear comprehension. And generally, when we're talking about mindfulness and everyday speech, at least as far as Buddhists are concerned, this quality of clear comprehension is also assumed. Mindfulness is, is a quality of attentiveness, Clear comprehension alludes to the context. Don't lose perspective on the bigger picture. Like this example of a teacher who becomes the role and thinks that they're supposed to have it together and teaching their students who don't have it together. They're losing perspective. That's an example of of no sampajanya. There may be sufficient mindfulness to to not start cracking jokes or <laughs> falling asleep or doing something that's not suitable for the situation. Uh, enough mindfulness uh, for that, but, but there's not the sense of perspective, not, the, uh, not in touch with the bigger picture. Uh, that's also really worth 
registering. When we are not paying good quality attention, when there's not real mindfulness and clear comprehension, then it's not just that uh, we maybe become boring and people lose interest, but the heart goes cold and we lose the connection. We lose an important aspect of our humanity. So mindfulness and clear comprehension, uh, both really worth registering, holding up. I received a visitor uh, a wee while ago, somebody who had been trained in the um, in a professional way in mindfulness at a university or a college and done the course and had qualified and uh, he wasn't feeling very confident in teaching his students about mindfulness. He had the qualification but he came to see me uh, hoping to get some hints on how to uh, teach this mindfulness business and in the course of the conversation, what seemed at least to me apparent was that he was holding it very much as a technique that mindfulness had become so commodified and marketable that the technique seemed to be the point. And I had obviously had some sympathy for for, for the fellow and... Um, didn't dismiss it, but uh, what occurred to me and and what would be helpful to share with this chap was uh, before he started speaking, before he started trying to teach mindfulness, that he just spend a few moments reflecting on the suffering of the people he was teaching. Because that's what they're there for. That's what we're all trying to do, to find a way out of suffering. And if we forget that, if we don't have really good quality mindfulness and clear comprehension, then we can forget that. But there's something we can do about that, just, just to exercise bringing to heart, bringing to mind the perception, the feeling of we all feel the same way when we get sick, when we lose a friend. One of our Anagarikas, Anagarika Justin, suddenly a few days ago got a phone call from France and his grandmother had just died. And so that's why Justin's not here. He rushed home to be with his family uh, for the funeral. And loss of a loved one always hurts. When we look at the world, we look at the extraordinary potential we have for generating benefit, the power of technology to educate and inform and and to share benefit and to communicate and, and to offer help and assistance. And yet, if you're not careful what you look at, you end up feeling very... Uh, disappointed. Uh, there's a lot of 
misuse of technology, missed opportunities, misappreciation of each other and misperception of the predicament that we all share. And what does that come down to? Well, it's not. The idea that everybody's bad, you know, or terrorists are bad people or politicians are all power freaks, that's, that's not very subtle. The whole concept of people are bad, what do we really mean by that? And, you know, we, as followers of the Buddha and interested in real understanding, you have to be willing to ask ourselves, what do we mean by a person anyway? What, what is the real person? We have done some investigations and certainly we have confidence the Buddha's teachings. We realize that this is really an hallucination, the idea of a solid, substantial, permanent person. What there is is these dynamic processes, definitely some wholesome and unwholesome conditions arising and ceasing, no doubt about that. But to simply label people as bad or, or some other, you know, foolish or some other term, that's, that doesn't really solve anything. However, if we remember when we look at the news or we tune into uh, the missed opportunities, the misperceptions, the misappreciations that you know, there's plenty of examples around, instead of becoming despairing about it if we remember there's potential for compassion for, you know, people only do these things because they don't know what they're doing it's like a dog I don't know if you've ever seen a dog with the mange it's a very unpleasant thing you see them scratching and you know you try to uh, stop them from scratching but they don't get it unfortunately most dogs don't have sufficient discriminative intelligence to know that if they scratch it only gets worse you've got to basically tie their paws up or do something to stop them from scratching so the mange can actually heal. They don't know what they're doing. Now that sounds like a pretty judgmental, unpleasant image, but I think it's fair enough. It applies that people who follow their hatred, thinking that it's going to make them feel better, it's really no different from you know scratching an itch and getting infected again it doesn't help or following rampant greed and people already got enough to live on and and instead of making an effort to share and be generous and generate well-being for others they just get pulled into this vortex of craving for me that actually only makes our predicament much worse or similarly with delusion getting pulled into the vortex of anxiety and fear and confusion. We as students of the Buddha recognize these three poisons, these three pollutions, greed, hatred and confusion. If there's compassion, not just mindfulness as a technique, but if there's compassion, if there's an attunement, a sensitivity to the shared predicament, the suffering that we're all interested in being free from, well then our intelligence is not obscured. Well, it's less likely that our intelligence, our ability to discern, to participate in this shared inquiry, how can we help each other? 
And when there's not mindfulness, there's not clear comprehension, well, then the opposite is the case. We get pulled into division. The teacher gets pulled into becoming the role and then the stress and struggle that comes with that. And we all do this. We all get pulled into these positions of, of unawareness and we suffer accordingly. But the benefit of this teaching is not that we're going to be protected from, from all our suffering, but that when we suffer we can contemplate, say, what's going on here? Like for that fellow who had been taught the technique of mindfulness, I'm pleased he came to see me and I'm pleased we had the conversation and I like to think that what we discussed was, was helpful to him because the commodification of mindfulness means you miss a lot of the potential for what could be there. I came across an article, I think this morning I was reading, I was flicking through the online uh, newspaper, The Guardian, and came across an article which I think was called The Cult of Kindness. And um, if I remember correctly, the, the tagline was, Is Kindness the New Mindfulness? I didn't read all the article, I kind of scanned it, and and as you probably would predict that Kindness is, it's turned out that kindness is now a good thing. And um, so you can now go on courses and learn to be kind. And it's, <laughs> it's being marketed uh, <laughs> as something that's good to do. And you know, I, I don't want to sound cynical here, but I think the, this, uh, the materialist approach to these things uh, is quite curious. From one perspective, you, you see, well, why would anybody feel they've got to market mindfulness or market kindness? And, and But actually, from another perspective, I must say I find it rather reassuring and encouraging because the only reason people can market mindfulness or market kindness or, or also I heard you can go on course where, courses for where the thing is to eat in silence. That's what you pay for is to have somebody to teach you how to eat in silence. And everybody sits there and has this experience of eating in silence. And you can go on a retreat and pay to be taught how to do this. And, and yeah, as I was saying, from one perspective, it's a bit curious. But another, from another perspective, I find it very encouraging because people will only buy this product if they get that it's beneficial. Uh, these principles... I recognise, people recognise, oh, this mindfulness matters. If there's not, not good quality mindfulness, then we miss out. So it's very natural to appreciate that. It's very natural to appreciate kindness. You know, it's one of the things, one of the first encounters we have, a mother's kindness when we're born, and a mother's compassion. Also, you know, probably there'll be marketing courses soon in patience. You just sit there and somebody bores you to tears. And you pay somebody a lot of money for it. So, <laughs> it's quite possible. I mean, pretty funny old world that we live in, uh, from one perspective. 
But, as I said, from another perspective, you think, well, it's very natural to appreciate these things. It's just that we've lost touch with nature. And so I think that's also worth registering, that we don't have to commodify these principles, mindfulness, kindness, compassion. That we don't have to make a thing out of them. We don't have to make a thing out of practice. We don't have to make a thing out of Buddhism. Buddhism has definitely commodified these days. There's all sorts of very glossy, groovy magazines around and uh, on about Buddhism and and uh, all sorts of things on the internet about Buddhism. And so there's a definitely uh, a tendency towards commodifying Buddhism. But let's consider what happens when we objectify these things and make a thing out of them, which is what the materialist approach tends to do. And to remember, we don't have to do that. I'm reminded of something that our teacher Ajahn Chah said, when, which you may have heard of, when he was asked to define Buddhism. And he said, Buddhism is simplifying your life and watch your mind. And that was it. And I've always remembered that. That was very attractive. It wasn't just simplify your mind as if being simple was the solution to everything, because it's not. Because if you're not mindful, being simple, actually, you can become very foolish. You can kind of, one of the, being simplistic, for instance, one of the characteristics of fundamentalism. You know, reducing everything down to simple solutions and pretending life is not complex. Life is very complex and can be very, very difficult. But the discipline of keeping it simple is possible if we exercise mindfulness. Mm-hmm. So that's watch your mind. Yeah. Simplify your life and watch your mind. If all we do is keep it simple, that's not enough. If all we do is watch your mind, that's not enough. If you're just busy trying to watch your mind, but life is so complex, it's just just not going to be possible. You won't get beyond a very superficial level of awareness. So those two principles are important. And if we apply them, well then we can avoid becoming overly simplistic. Some of you will be signed up to our fortnightly Dhammapada program. Each new moon and full moon, uh, we send out this little uh, commentary on a verse from the Dhammapada. And yesterday, the the full moon uh, verse was Dhammapada verse 100, which said that a single word which leads to calm is better to hear than a thousand irrelevant words. The Buddha wanted us to reflect on because when we lose touch with what's really working, if we lose touch with the ground beneath our feet, when we get caught up in the myriad conditions of life, then we make things more complicated than they really need to be. A lot of 
Buddhism is more complicated than it really needs to be. A lot of these magazines, I've tried reading some of them and I don't see the point, really, personally speaking. And I can appreciate that some of the issues raised can stimulate useful conversation, but is it really leading to calm? Does it really conduce with clarity? And so I think the emphasis Ajahn Shah was giving on that quote for our calendar verse for this month is you know, when you are mindful then there's real benefit. So really registering what this mindfulness means, not allowing ourselves to lose touch with what's actually happening, what's what's here and now. We can't be mindful of the past. We can be mindful of the memory that we're having right now of the past. I can remember where I grew up in this town in New Zealand, a town called Morrinsville. That happened and this happened. And if I'm not careful, I could get pulled into those memories and lose perspective. That's not being mindful of the past. Being mindful is being mindful of the memory of the past. We can't be mindful in the past We can't be mindful in the future. We can be mindful of ideas, fantasies, projections, speculations, extrapolations that we have about the future. But if we're mindful, we know that that's an image, that's a story, that's a dream. It's got its place. It's an aspect of our skillfulness, our mental ability that we can speculate about the future. Definitely got its place. But if we're not mindful, then we overly invest in it. We don't recognize that's relative. It could be completely wrong. That thought that I'm having about what might happen tomorrow or next week or next month could be completely wrong. If we're mindful, well, then we can entertain ideas about the future. We can recollect events of the past and learn and prepare in the process. If we're not mindful, then we get lost in the past, we get lost in the future. So the Buddha encouraged, don't get lost in the past, don't get lost in the future. Mindfulness applies to here and now. And then if there is this real mindfulness, this real clear comprehension, we're not losing a sense of perspective, the context, then there's the optimum chance that we won't, miss the opportunity for generating benefit. Mm. We had some visitors to the monastery a few days ago who wanted to uh, offer me some Dhamma books. These two visitors from Thailand wanted to give these books and before they offered them, they they asked me whether I was uh, familiar with the words of the Buddha. And I was a little bit puzzled by that question. I've been living as a monk for 40 years and thought one would assume that, you know, the words of the Buddha, that's the suttas, that's the discourses by the Buddha, and that's like one of the pillars right up there with the central pillar of Buddhism, that is the path of practice. Very near that central pillar is the 
pillar of studying the Buddhist discourses and that they were asking, was I familiar? And it turns out uh, that their teacher is promoting that you don't listen to commentaries on the scriptures, you only pay attention to the actual words of the Buddha. And I looked into it a bit and it turns out that this is a uh, a particularly um, uh, evangelical uh, new development in Thailand where uh, followers of this group go around knocking on people's doors trying to save people uh, and protect them from these uh, spurious speculations about Buddhism that have been spread around and they should only believe in the words of the Buddha. And, uh, well, that's interesting and I can see if they've never come across the Buddha's teachings before. All they've ever heard is commentaries and views and opinions that coming across the actual suttas, the discourses of the Buddhas can be very uplifting and inspiring. But if there's not proper mindfulness, well then, actually you behave in ways that are a bit embarrassing, really. Yeah. It's fine to, uh, obviously, to feel enthusiastic about reading the Buddhist scriptures. And it's, it's uh, understandable that we get energized and enthusiastic when we discover meditation techniques and skillful means. This is understandable, but let's register how preeminent, how really important it is to apply here and now, whole body and mind, judgment-free, grounded mindfulness. Mindfulness and clear comprehension when we don't have well-developed mindfulness and clear comprehension, then there's a real risk that we lose perspective. We risk objectifying, commodifying these principles. They're all very natural and can be very wholesome and potentially beneficial, but we run the risk of missing out on the benefit if there's not real mindfulness. So thank you very much this evening for your attention.